Volume 2, Chapter 9 of Evelyn, or A Heart Unmasked, a novel by Anna Koromawit. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kelly Taylor. Chapter 9 So many are the sufferings which no human aid can reach. It must be a duty doubly sweet to heal the few we can. Zapoya March 1st We had just dismissed our little school today, and Ellen and I were spreading the table for dinner, when Netta, who had been permitted to pay a visit to her parents, burst into the room. Mother said she'd be much obliged. Mother told me to run home as fast as I could and say she'd, began the little girl, who was too much out of breath to proceed. Not so fast, not so fast, Netta, said Ellen kindly. Rest yourself and then deliver your mother's message. Mother told me to say, continued the child, that she would be very much obliged if you could send some red wine, or any kind of strengthening wine at all, for a poor sick creature that she don't know what to do with. Is the wine for one of your mother's boarders, Netta? inquired I. Yes, ma'am, so mother said, but she won't let me in to see her, for she said that the woman couldn't bear to be disturbed. I must confess that this answer awakened my suspicion. I have lately had reason to believe that Nancy, in spite of all her promises, retains and indulges her fondness for spirituous liquors. Nor is the honesty of this woman by any means unimpeached. She has on two occasions induced her child to purloin trifling articles of dress, and when the theft was discovered, showed little compunction. Netta wept in terrified sorrow when Ellen made her sensible of her crime, and in vivid colours painted its consequences. But how can a child, wholly ignorant of virtue, be responsible for vice? Ellen, on detecting these propensities in Netta, did not for a moment, as on former occasion, entertain the idea of relinquishing all interest in the child. For Ellen now grows stronger in proportion as her labors increase, and she shrinks not from the performance of any good deed, however difficult, hazardous, or unattractive. When we remember the state of abject poverty and degradation from which Netta's mother has been rescued, her ingratitude appears doubly revolting, and to an unreflecting mind might prove discouraging. But true benevolence neither looks nor hopes for gratitude as a reward, nor needs any incentive in the pursuit of good. Netta, did your mother request that we should visit her sick lodger? asked Ellen. No, ma'am. I said you would come help take care of her, but she said better not, for the poor woman wouldn't let nobody at all near her. Very well, Netta, replied I. Bring up dinner, and we'll see about this matter by and by. Dear Miss Catherine, we must not mind what Nancy says, Ellen began as the child left the room. We must go and see this suffering creature, 
and we can buy a bottle of port wine on the way. I have some silver upstairs. Let us first discover whether or not the wine would be of service to her. At all events, we will pay Nancy a visit and hear her story. When our frugal dinner was concluded, Ellen and I set out without delay, and Mr. Willard promised to follow us in half an hour, as it would soon be too dark for us to return home in safety. Netta's mother resides in Grand Street. She has given up the washing which we procured for her, and which yielded her a very tolerable livelihood, and has now opened a small store for the sale of spruce beer, ginger pop, tobacco, vegetables, candies, and a heterogeneous medley of other articles, which bring her as various a class of customers. She also has two spare apartments, which she rents out whenever she can to obtain borders. We found Nancy standing upon the steps of her shop, cutting the outer leaves from a withered cabbage to make it look like a fresh one. She greeted us without surprise. The baby, who was dabbling in a pail of water that had just been used to wash the cabbage, began to crow and clap its little hands at the sight of Ellen, and toddling towards her, stretched out its arms to meet her embrace. "'Well, Nancy, we have come to see your patient,' said I. "'And it's just like you, and mighty good of you too, miss,' replied she. "'But it's no use in life, for she won't see you, the creature.' "'What ails her?' inquired I. Well, then, and I can't say, but she's been down sick ever since she came here, and that's more than a fortnight since. And she's a young thing, too, and as pretty a face as you ever clapped your eyes on, but she won't have a doctor come near her, and she doesn't eat and drink what would keep the life in a mouse. But she just lies there and groans sometimes, till you'd think the very breath was going to go out of her. You must persuade her to see us, Nancy, said Ellen. We cannot be of much assistance without seeing her. It ain't no use at all, at all, but I'll try if you like. And with these words, Nancy entered a small room which opened into the shop. She remained absent a very few minutes, and returning, said, The creature won't listen to it. I know it all along of her. But indeed we must see her, replied Ellen, with a determination of manner which surprised me. I will take responsibility upon myself. And she advanced towards the half-closed door and gently pushed it open. I silently followed her, and Nancy made no effort to prevent us. The room was small and close, the floor bare, and the only articles of furniture, a wretched cot, a broken chair, and an old washstand. From a nail beside the cot hung a black dress of fine materials, but worn and discolored. Upon the chair lay a shawl of the same somber color. We looked towards the cot, through the scanty covering we could trace the outlines of an emaciated form, 
but the face of the invalid was concealed by the sheet which, with convulsive hands, she pressed upon her brow. Those hands were small and white as the driven snow, but so thin and transparent that the delicate bones and interlacing veins were distinctly visible. "'We have come to see you,' said Ellen, kindly, and bending over the invalid. The unhappy creature did not speak, but more tightly grasped the sheet which he held over her face. Ellen grew pale and trembled, and I advanced to her assistance. "'You must pardon our intrusion,' said I, addressing myself to the person in the bed. "'We heard that you were very ill and were anxious to be of some service to you.' A low sob was the only answer. "'Pray tell us how we can aid you,' entreated Ellen, but in a faltering tone. She received no reply. "'At least let us know in what manner you suffer,' said I, laying my hand upon the attenuated one of the invalid. She shivered at the touch, but still spoke not. "'Indeed, we feel for you very deeply,' murmured Ellen in a tearful voice. "'We grieve from our hearts at your wretched state. Pray, pray speak to us. Pray permit us to aid you.' These words were only acknowledged by a succession of deep, heart-rending sobs, and the slight form beneath the covering shook as though with convulsions. "'Well, and then I'm thinking you'd better leave the poor creature quiet, for fretting mightn't do her any good, and it's just impossible to make her do what she sets her face against.' These words were uttered by Nancy who had thrust her head inside the room to see what was going on. "'We had better follow Nancy's advice,' said I to Ellen, trying to draw her away. "'I am afraid we only make the poor creature worse.' Ellen was strongly inclined to linger, but I succeeded in leading her from the apartment. "'Is she very weak?' inquired I of Nancy. "'Why, then she's just as weak as a wet rag.' "'and not a bit able to help herself,' was Nancy's reply. "'She has no fever, has she? "'No, not a whit. "'It's cold and not hot she is.' "'Then,' replied I, "'we will send her a little mulled port wine and some gruel, "'and you must get her to taste them before she sleeps tonight.' "'That I will,' said Nancy, "'in a tone of sincere kindness.' "'For if she don't get something to help her, "'it's not often she'll sleep again, or wake either.' "'Ellen was now content to hurry home, "'that the gruel and wine might be prepared. "'We met Mr. Willard just as we were leaving the shop. "'He joined us, and we hastened towards Broadway, "'entered an omnibus, and were soon at our own door. "'The gruel was made, and the wine mulled without delay.' And as it was too late for Netta to carry them alone, Mr. Willer kindly accompanied her. While we were awaiting his return before tea was served, Richard, who had learnt our number from his father, paid us his first visit. He looked ill, 
and his habiliments were even in a more forlorn and tattered condition than when i last beheld him but his blustering manner were not changed nor his loud speech softened well now you don't say he exclaimed on entering nodding his head approvingly as he looked around the room what a snug cosy little box you've got here to be sure and a sofa too he flung himself heavily upon our homemade couch but quickly sprang up again whew hard as a rock why didn't you let a fellow know why it ain't half as comfortable as the soft side of a plank anyhow you can fix it ah miss kitty do you remember the lounges at evie's poor evie poor evie i haven't given her up yet i'd find her if she was as hard to get as a needle in a haystack leave me alone for that do you know that walter has taken rooms at the american i met him in the street today and he looked for all the world like a live skeleton at the museum only walter's thinner and his skin's as yellow as though he was born with the yellow fever a fella told me the other day that his wife was dead and that he was making up to that big black-eyed miss hilson but i told the booby that he'd better cut his eye teeth a little sharper before he told a lie again and if he didn't look out how he'd kill my sister before her time i'd knock him into a cocked hat that i would just after i had met walter whom should i pop down upon but the very girl herself laura hilson i mean up she came and shook hands as pleasant and looked as smiling as a basket of chips and then she said that as sure as fate evie was somewhere about and i mustn't give up searching for for she must be found and after that miss laura shook hands again and asked me to come see her mighty polite of her wasn't it i should be very well pleased to think that it was mere politeness i replied but i fear that miss hilson has some ulterior end to be gained by this invitation you don't though do you well now there may be something in that too said richard knowingly and brushing up his hair as he spoke who knows but she wants to make up to me herself to be sure i ain't much of a catch in the way of the ready needful but i've known girls fall head over ears in love with many a worse-looking fellow i shouldn't wonder if i'd hit the nail i'm very much obliged to her but it's a no-go i wouldn't give up my independence and be saddled with a wife for the best woman that breathes if only i could find evie i shouldn't care much if present company always accepted for good manners if there wasn't another woman in the world how do you like our house inquired ellen oh it's just the thing first rate just the pattern of a big-sized mousetrap i hope you've got a spare bed for i shouldn't wonder if i pulled up stakes and settled down here myself i began to feel alarmed at this threat and ellen noticing my consternation quickly replied no indeed richard call me dick will ya no indeed dick then we have not a spare bed that makes no odds answered richard accommodatingly this sofa's rather hard to be sure but i suppose i could put up with it for lack of better you will do no such thing said mrs willard 
who entered the room at this moment. This is our only sitting room, and the house is crowded and uncomfortable enough without your presence to make it more so. You are old enough in all conscience to take care of yourself without being a burden upon your relatives. Therefore, you need not expect to come here. Well, you needn't be so snappish, mother. I ain't quite sure whether you've left my head on my shoulders or not. But you've been as sour as a bowl of milk after a thunderstorm ever since we lost poor Evie. No wonder, no wonder. We'll forgive you that. I can't stand it myself. It knocks me all heap for the rest of the day whenever I think of her. But Nellie, where's the governor? I think that father is at the street door, replied Ellen, rising. Mr. Willard entered with Netta, and a few minutes afterwards we took our seats at the tea-table. It was not easy to make room for Richard, but he squeezed himself between Ellen and me, and declared that he was as snug as a bug in a rug. Netta brought word that the poor woman had been persuaded to drink the wine, and that Nancy thought it had done our patient good already. This intelligence gave a delightful flavour to the cup of tea which I was quaffing, and, if I may judge by Ellen's look, it must have rendered hers equally palatable. End of chapter 9